0: Hey folks, it's JK. Just wanted to take a minute before getting into today's episode to, first of all, say thank you for choosing to press play on another episode of the Help Me Understand podcast. In today's episode with Maggie Lakebrink, who is a school psychologist in the central Illinois area, you are going to hear a conversation that her and I have around some of the different aspects to think about. When it comes to returning to school, most of our conversation to be completely transparent centered around what we've got going on locally here in the Bloomington, Illinois area, which for those of you who are not familiar with the Bloomington normal area, it's in central Illinois, basically kind of smack dab in between Chicago and St. Louis. So while you may be somebody who's listening from a completely different area, I think there are quite a few different things that we bring up in the conversation not just around what we have going locally, but how we're processing that particular information that you may be interested in as I know that the situation from a school's either reopening or not reopening in-person versus virtual. Uh, I know those situations are very different across the country. Why I'm going to go ahead and share this particular episode, which quite honestly was more of just a conversation between the two of us, this is about as unstructured as an episode can possibly get. But the reason that I'm going to share it is because I think it gets to the heart of what the Help Me Understand podcast is all about My intention has always been to make sure that this podcast is about just sharing different perspectives. Whether it's a perspective that you agree with or not is not the main thing that I'm focused on. What I am specifically focused on is just bringing different conversations to the table. In this particular episode, I asked Maggie quite a few questions around her opinion uh, and her point of view and her perspective on how we are locally looking at the process of reopening schools, what those decisions look like, and I felt like she did a stellar job of helping me understand how this is coming across from the teacher standpoint, from the educational professional standpoint, and then more importantly, I think that she did a fantastic job of helping me understand some of the things that parents can potentially do if they are getting ready to send their children back into schools that are opened, and also some things that parents could potentially consider if their children are going to be learning from home. So regardless of where you stand on the issue of whether schools should or should not reopen, whether people should or should not send their kids to school, I feel like this is an episode that yet again, everybody can gain some perspective from. So again, thank you for choosing to press play. Hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Help Me Understand podcast. I am your host, JK, and I am rejoined by my very first guest from episode number one, Maggie. So Maggie, welcome back. Hey, yeah. good to be
1: back. I feel pretty cool being on here twice.
0: I know, you're uh would you be yeah you're the first repeat guest Yay. so apparently uh it went well enough the first time around that you weren't totally scared to come back on so i appreciate you being here thanks for <laughs> thanks for showing up uh all right well uh our first conversation was uh was and still is uh super impactful uh you were able to share your point of view and also share some things uh with me that I definitely took away and have actually put into practice as far as just uh, working on developing a growth mindset, uh, especially as it relates to parenting and just interactions with my kids. So first of all, I definitely want to say thank you for uh, what you were able to share that first time around. But uh, for those of, of our audience who might not be familiar with you, what I'd like you to, like to do is just start off with, uh, you know, who are you and a little bit of your background. Uh, And, yeah, we'll just start with that. Who are you and what's your background?
1: Okay. Who am I? Ooh, I could be, like, philosophical about that. Um, (laughs) My name is Maggie. Uh, I am a school psychologist. Uh, I work in Unit 5 in uh, Bloomington Normal. And this will be my sixth year in the district. I also worked um, out-of-state in a school district in South Carolina for a year or two before that, so yeah, that's uh
0: okay, yeah,
1: basically me.
0: Yeah, I know. I kind of put you on the spot. Takes up most the...
1: of my. Uh, that takes up most of my time.
0: Yeah, so uh, we'll just go ahead and get right to it. So the reason that I asked Maggie if she would sit down and have a conversation with me uh, was because the ever so hot topic these days is looking at what school reopening looks like in the fall. So clearly we've, we've got, uh, well, not clearly, but we have listeners from really all over the country at yeah. this point. Um, and what my intention is, as I kind of mentioned when I first re- uh, reached out to you, is my intention is to have this be a conversation around Um, helping me understand some of the different things that we should be taking into consideration. Um, And when I say we, as, you know, first as a parent, because that's, that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I do, Uh, but parents, and then also hopefully by listening to this conversation, even those who may not be parents or people who may not have children, not even in, in our community, but just in general, can at least get some perspective and some understanding for the types of things that parents are having to think through. Uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, based on our first conversation and all the conversations that we've ever had about children, I believe that anybody who's got any sort of in, any sort of interaction with children has an impact with kids, no matter what, whether they're yours or not. So um, what I'd like to just kind of start with is You know, I guess we'll we'll start with our situation here locally. So, locally, for context, for those who haven't listened before, I've got a seven-year-old who would be elementary school age, and then I've got a fourteen-year-old who will be high school, uh, or who will be in high school in the fall. So, we locally are looking at um, a couple of different options, and those options, from a high school standpoint, basically are what I would call like a hybrid model. Uh, where we have the option of uh, having, you know, having our child attend uh, in person a couple days a week, and then virtual learning a couple days a week, or going completely 100% all virtual. And then, from an elementary school standpoint, because I don't have one in in junior high anymore, but from an elementary school standpoint, I've got uh, the option, or we, my wife and I, have the option of looking at either all in-person learning or all virtual learning so there's a lot of different things that are on the table so i guess uh where to start so let's just first start with as as a school psychologist uh where how are you processing all of this first of all like so for you (laughs) what are the things that for you are top of mind as you individually process through all of the different information and things like that.
1: So it, it has been crazy trying to process how all of this is going to impact kids. We've been out of school since March. Um, in the last, that March through May was kind of this like emergency remote learning. So there really wasn't a plan for it, at least here. We didn't have a, a system in place for that. And we were told not to teach new material. So it was kind of like, we're just going to get through this. I think everyone kind of agreed that that wasn't really like super beneficial. It kept the kids safe. We weren't in school. We did what we had to do. Um, And we had to figure out creative ways to check on the kids that we were worried about. So some of that was like, I would write handwritten letters to kids that I knew didn't have a computer or do things like that to try and do home visits and make sure they're actually at home and we know they're okay if we can't get a hold of them. So now looking into the fall, processing remote learning and virtual learning is, well, there's so many different ways to do that, um, but it's going to look a lot different. And I think that thinking about all the kids, all that they've been through over the summer, not just with COVID, but like everything that has been going on in our country, there's a lot of trauma that has happened. And so I'm, I'm worried about how we're going to support our kids coming back to school in whatever fashion they come back in.
0: Okay. And that is, uh, well, that's exactly kind of where I felt like you would kind of be right now Uh, because not just, Your position, but also just knowing you as a human, that I know you—you know you to be a very empathetic person, uh, (laughs) and really uh, care about what people think and how they're doing and how they're processing. So uh, you raise an interesting point that, uh, first of all, what we what we went through as uh, parents and what educators went through and school administrators went through and support staff went through. Near the end of last school year is not necessarily i'm i'm going to give my perspective is not necessarily indicative of what the experience was supposed to be like would what it would be like really the top priority what I hear you saying is the top priority was on make sure kids are safe, try to keep some sort of communication things like that um would mm-hmm. it be Would it be safe to say that the priority wasn't necessarily on, okay, we've got to make sure that there's still a certain level, like trajectory of learning that's happening?
1: We were guidance from, even from the state, was um, give parents activities to do to keep them engaged. We're not grading these activities. We aren't trying to increase skills, really. We want to maintain them and we have to make it easy enough for parents to be able to do this at home because we don't have a solid plan. Uh, cause nothing like this could ever happen before.
0: Right. Well, I know that, I know that my opinion is going to be one of millions. Um, I can say that I felt like in my, my very limited scope that people did what they could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like yeah. if there was, uh, I felt like I had resources just to at mm-hmm. least keep keep my kids' brains active, quite honestly. Yeah. Because I think at that yeah. point, yeah, at that point, as you shared, like there was the focus. We had a whole lot of different things going on. There was so much, so much change that was happening with so many people's jobs and things like that. So, what can you do to try and provide some sort of normalcy <laughs> in a, a structure that really there was no normalcy available? So, okay, so we've yeah. got that 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 closes out. Uh, the spring. Then we now are going Mm -hmm. through the summertime where most kids' activities have been impacted in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, Um, I would venture to say that most family activities have been impacted in some way, shape, or form. Uh, If there was the like the regular vacation to go see grandparents, whatever it may be, like most people have been impacted somehow. And I don't know how familiar mm-hmm. familiar you are with um, Malcolm Gladwell's book Outliers, but I remember in Outliers one of the things that uh, he talked about was the difference in different cultures and especially in socioeconomic statuses what they do during uh, vacation times. So during yeah. summer times, how kids camps help keep them stimulated versus kids that may just sit at home and they're not doing mm-hmm. anything like different things like that. So you, you talking about kind of what the different kind of, I guess, uh, focus areas looked like that just reminded me of that and something I had not mm-hmm. thought about. So, okay. So now we we're about to close out the summer. You've got, um, uh, different plans that have been announced in our, our local district and then i've got friends kind of all over the country who are dealing with a whole lot of yeah. different you know different things that are possibly out there uh let's just do open forum here so i know that your main concern is clearly like the well-being of the kids um how are
2: yeah.
0: how do you feel like things are being handled just from an aspect of the plans that are right now available
1: I think that at least around here, there are choices that parents can make. I know that in some places there's no choice. It's this is the plan. There is one option. Um, So I think that 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 opportunity for parents to make decisions on maybe there's two options and maybe they don't really like either, but they have some choice in it on which one might be a little bit better for their individual child or for their family. So I think that is, that's a positive. Um, I think that there's a lot of people making these plans that aren't necessarily in the classrooms, and so their lens isn't often, what will this look like for kids, and what will be the impact on kids, positively or negatively, in whether it's a remote or in-person scenario.
0: Okay, so let me let me ask you about that because uh, let me see. So the way that I'm looking at what you're saying is basically, hey, these partic- It's great that there are choices. Mm-hmm. However, uh, have we thought through the impact of said choices? Yes. Could that be okay?
2: Yeah. Are you able and to I- kind of?
0: are you able to give kind of an example of mm-hmm. how you yeah. see maybe there's not necessarily a, that you see maybe there might be some sort of a disconnect between, Hey, you're saying that this is a choice, but do you understand the impact of said choice?
1: Yes. So I, I think that for parents, they don't all also have that lens and what is outlined in those plans on what that looks like in reality and implementation. because um, You can read all the guidelines on there, but what does that really look like? I know that in the districts around here, the online curriculum for junior high and high school is outsourced. A lot of the classes at the high school level that kids may have wanted to take aren't available. So if they wanna take an honors and AP class, that might not be allowed and that that impacts them long-term then. So what is the impact of that? And are parents really aware of what's available in person versus in school, and if their child has a condition that makes it unsafe for them to be in school or their family is not comfortable with it, that kid could be at a disadvantage because of that. There's also the notion of school is gonna look a lot different. Um, I want to go back to a normal school day. I 100% think that that is the best place for kids to be at when they have a normal school day, with is warm and inviting, and they know there's at least someone in the building that they can go to and feel comforted by. The schools that we are outlining in some of these plans take away a lot of those things. Um, for example, there will be nothing in classrooms other than desks, teachers' desks, and bookshelves. So take away the, the comfy reading corner, the calm down corner where kids go when they're upset, The ability to walk down to my room when they're upset, um, sharing materials with other people, interacting in small groups, playing games with others, all of those things that make school feel like a community and make kids feel safe and like they're cared for, a lot of those are going to be really hard for teachers to cultivate in this almost sterile environment. So I think that knowing that kids can't leave the classroom, they're going to be in there. For some parents, if when they start thinking about that, they're like, wait, my kid can't sit in a desk for eight hours straight. How, how, how is that going to work? So is it really a, a choice that's good? And for some kids, maybe they can handle that. Some, maybe they can't. So it's just understanding what that's going to look like.
2: Okay.
0: And you raise, you know what? That's why I really appreciate your perspective because you raise, um, you raise a good point. Because I think that, you know, as someone who's read through the packet, read through the FAQs, all that stuff, you get those pieces of information, and uh, you could easily just read it and say, okay, well, in person is this, and then online is this. However, to your point, number one. So the online instruction, to your understanding, would be handled by a third party.
1: So that's what they're proposing for junior high and high school. I know elementary, it will be ran by a teacher. Um, They'll be required to check in with the whole class, I think, twice a week. But there again, the way it's set up, we're not really sure how that looks like. We have very little information on how many remote teachers there will be, how many kids they will be assigned to we just have a lot of unknowns okay. so it's hard to know if if that is a good fit for some of our kids too
0: okay so really it just it it sounds like a lot more of the trickle down uncertainty that that mm-hmm. parents and adults have been feeling for quite a few months yeah and maybe maybe some things that you've been able to i don't know if shield children is the right way to say it however I'd say maybe in some areas where you've been able to reduce maybe the amount of change that they've had to go through Uh, because some parents have still allowed children to play with like a group of friends next door or within a community, like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I can totally see where you're coming from with, you know, you walk into a classroom and you're used to, you know, the big, bright, beautiful colors, the beanbag chairs, the the calming corners mm-hmm. you talk about, like those different areas. So from your understanding, it would be all about from a, from a safety and sanitization standpoint, those are not things that would be allowed, which mm-hmm. those, those of us, you know, I work in a business where we have to try and keep things clean and sanitized and and different things like that. So I can see where that would, from a health code standpoint, like for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. where that would yeah. be the concern. So in your opinion, is there a way to be able to be able to try and still get that sort of sense of community within a building and still meet whatever which those regulations, I'm sure will change like by the hour, but the sanitization you know, protocol?
1: So, I mean, that that's the challenge that we're kind of faced with. I think yeah. that in looking through the protocols, some of them, there's no way that we can follow them. Um, it, it's not feasible. When you measure a classroom, someone at our school board meeting measured his classroom and said, I can fit 11 desks in it if I space them as I'm supposed to. The average class size, in my building, it was probably like 25 plus. So, where are the other kids going? So, and so maybe we're hoping that more than half of them are online, but we, we don't know that yet. We have no idea. Same goes with a high school classroom. A lot of the high school classes have over 30 kids in them because a lot of kids want to take a certain class. Well, if I think it was like 16 of the desks will fit in the typical or average high school classroom. Are you hoping that they're evenly split and that, that like there aren't more than 16 there on a given day. So I think that some of those specifics are okay, well then what's the plan when we're not following the guidelines? Like how lenient are we going to get and where does that kind of stop? Um, So there's that. There's the guidelines will probably continually change.
0: Right. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) And then there's just the, I mean, in my position, I, even if I don't have duty, I often stand at the front of my building and I probably receive 20 hugs by the time all the kids have entered the building. So as think of a six-year-old running up to someone and wanting to hug them and me saying no. And how harming that can be to that relationship. Because, oh, you you don't want to show me that you care. So I think it's going to be extremely important for teachers to have an immediate replacement for that. So whether that's, a, um, okay, well, we're going to do a silly dance when we see each other. Or we're going to do this wave handshake thing that we made up where we don't actually touch a replacement that's going to make them feel like they still have that connection and that's how I show this kid that I care instead of giving them a hug so that's where the teachers are having to now think of all the things that they would typically do throughout their day and how to replace those things with something that's still going to be relationship and community focused, so kids still have a buy-in and want to be there. Okay. All while the kids can't see your face, which is a challenge of itself.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense because I can. I'm I'm even thinking of um, my son at the end of his baseball games because as of right now, they can still do baseball. At his age so at the end of the baseball games you know you're used to the traditional teams walk by and high five and it's a good job good job good job good Mm -hmm. job which if we're being honest I don't even know if they ever actually touched hands before when they said good job because they all (laughs) just kind of walked by each other and they're like whatever man get it over with but um now they you know they stand on the third baseline and the first baseline and then they wave their caps at each other as like the, the thank exactly. you, the, the good job. Yeah. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. So from the, you present a good perspective from the educators and the teachers and the the administrator's point of view, because so much of what you do, especially because I don't think we mentioned you're at an elementary school, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, so much at an elementary school level is about more than just just the words it's about body language and contact Mm -hmm. uh, and things like that so you raise a really good point so uh, a point of view that I have also uh, been presented with from some of my teacher friends has been just straight up like listen this is unfair to put this on us to expect us to have to figure this out um Yes. I, I'm, I know you agree with that, but can you speak a bit more to that? Because I, I, I can see it from that point of view. Like you signed up to teach yeah. and teaching has its challenges already. Oh, yeah. But I mean, can you share a little bit more around where like that point of view?
1: Yeah, I think that part of it is the a lot of these plans um, have some of the questions answered, but not all of them. So there may be buildings in our district that are changing start times to make them staggered because I can't have 500 kids in my building all walk in into a common area at the same time when they get dropped off. So the buildings individually are having to figure out how do we make this work? What is my building setup look like where I can have 100 kids spaced out for lunch? Some of these things, there there aren't good answers. And so we're all racking our brains. And while in our district, the parents get a choice between plans. Some of them may feel like they don't because of, of circumstances at home if they, if they can't keep their kid home. But most teachers don't have a choice. So unless that choice is taking an unpaid leave. Okay. Which yeah. I do. Um, so... I mean, there, there are situations where if teachers have underlying conditions. I think those teachers are going to be prioritized for the online learning positions, but we don't really even know what that process is going to look like for applying for those positions still. So we don't know if, if I just personally don't want to get COVID and I don't want to be in school, even if I don't have a condition, am I going to be able to work from home? We don't know those things yet, so I think a lot of teachers are feeling like we're being treated like healthcare professionals, like which I totally respect. And but I I don't I don't know how to handle a pandemic with five hundred kids and sixty staff members, and it, it doesn't. A lot of teachers feel like they didn't sign up for that.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. And I, I, I've heard that not just from teachers, but I mean, in the, you've got to remember that retail businesses, have, yeah, many have
2: been exactly. open,
0: uh, mm-hmm. this entire time. So you've got a decent yeah. amount of folks there also that, you know, quote unquote. Didn't yeah. I think there's
1: a lot this. of,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: A lot of, you know, I don't know what to call them sections of, I don't know, employment that are dealing with this and figuring out, you know, is it mandatory? I think some businesses are finding that they can do some work from home that they never really thought about before. And that's changing people's perspectives. Um, But I think that it is kind of, it is scary right now because a lot of teachers just don't feel like they have a decision in, in much of it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So we've, kind of talked about the topic. I know there's, there's so many different directions and we can go deeper into like so many different things, but let me just ask you this. So as a parent,
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
0: what, what can I do to best support teachers
1: right now? So I think that the, the kids that are coming to school or the kids that are learning online, how they go into that and how they handle it is going to be very dependent on how their parents have talked to them about it. So if the parents have not said, you're going to be expected to sit in a desk for eight hours and you will eat lunch in your classroom and you're going to wear a mask for eight hours, if that's what your building plan is, and kids don't know that, they're going to push back day one. I mean, they're going to push back anyway because it's not going to be pleasant, but I think that if parents talk it up as we've decided this is the best option for you and they have a positive outlook on it, it will be a lot different than if the parents are saying this is going to be awful. Right. Like j- just the mindset of it is, is one thing. I also think I know lots of parents are at, just asking their kids, would you rather be at home or go to school? And mm-hmm. if you phrase it that way. Most kids are gonna say, "I want to be at school. I want to see my friends." But I think making sure they understand what what that looks like is important. Um, and I think that just if, if they are going to school, practice wearing a mask at home. Okay. Slowly, like increase how much time they're wearing it, so that it's not this. I, I haven't I haven't been to the grocery store because I'm five. I don't go to the grocery store like. If they haven't been out doing things and they haven't worn a mask yet, it's going to be a shock to try and wear it for eight hours. It's not comfortable. I wore one for three hours at the school board meeting. And I was like, oh my, that's not, that's like not even half my school day. So it will be an adjustment. And I think the more that kids practice doing that at home, the better prepared and able they'll be to handle that when they get to school.
0: Okay. That's, um, So that's, I I find that to be a helpful, a helpful tip. Would you recommend also that if you're doing something like that with the kids, that the parents also wear a mask at the same time?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And practice like communicating. Yeah. When you have a mask on because you're going to have to teach kids not to just look at someone's face to figure out if they're mad at you or happy with you or whatever. Um, teachers are going to have to be more verbal in how they're feeling because if I approach a kid who's upset and they can't see my face, they might not know if my eyes are concerned and wanting to help or if they're upset at them. So I think parents practicing that too and reminding kids you're going to have to tell people how you're feeling because they can't see if you're smiling or if you're pouting is another piece to that.
0: That's okay. That's, that's fair. That's totally fair and a good point. So what I hear you basically saying is if you anticipate that you'll be sending your kids to school, knowing that they're going to be wearing masks um, or knowing that, for example, they may not have the the freedom to just you know kind of move around the room yeah. as they normally would have, try to implement a few of those things just basically kind of in doses at yes. home.
1: Dosing is exactly what I would call it. Like, okay. <laughs> it's honestly like your little burst of it so they understand what it's going to feel like. And if, if you do that a couple times and your kid cannot handle it for 20 minutes, then realistically, that may make you rethink what the plan will be for fall for them. Because my child can't handle a mask for 20 minutes. Uh, the, the impact of having someone yell at them not that we're going to yell at them, but someone make them comply with that demand and have to remind them over and over all day long is going to be big on them. Um, I don't want to say it'll be traumatic, but I I think that there there are a lot of people right now comparing some of these classrooms to um, jail. Mm, Just the, I mean... Very sterile environment. Constantly saying you need to sit in this spot. You need to have a mask on. You can't move like certain things. And I think that for some kids, just that in of itself, that compliance is yeah. going to be is going to be really de- like detrimental to them um, and their emotional well-being. So I think that parents know their kids and they know if they can handle that or not. And I think that seeing how they respond to that at home for 20 minutes is kind of a good segue into that. And knowing also that if your kids are different at school than they are at home, take that into account too.
0: Okay. So in your, this is all obviously gonna be based on your opinion, but in in your opinion or if you have any, any sort of information, do you know why, say for instance, why the state or have you heard a, some sort of a theory around knowing that these would, mm-hmm. be, these would be the concerns? Because I don't know that anybody would argue Yeah, it's not necessarily the ideal environment. Mm-hmm. So to your knowledge, then why make it a choice if it's not going to be the ideal environment? Like that's just a legit
2: question.
1: Yeah, that's honestly a question to me that I have. Um, I, I personally, I don't have children, so I can't imagine making that decision right now and figuring out if I could stay home and work would be a factor too. But uh, I think that I give our teachers the benefit that they're creative enough to make remote learning when they're in charge of it successful and find ways to help those kids that don't necessarily um, have a parent at home. And we focus on, okay, well, what's the plan for them? But if, you know, whatever percentage can be at home and their parents can work at home, then we can figure out ways to make that work and be vastly different than what it is. Um, So I think in my mind, the question is, well, why aren't we just focusing on a specific plan for the kids that don't have that as an option and being creative there um, instead of making this plan apply to everyone when we don't know, there's no research on what are the impacts of being in a classroom for eight hours, wearing a mask, not being able to move, and having limited collaboration and sharing and social interactions and all those things that are best practices and learning anything um, whether it's a social emotional skill or an academic skill. Um, we, we just don't know and I think that I'm worried that that ha- may have more negative impacts than kids that are staying at home. I don't know the answer to that. That is just something that is concerning me because we just don't know and um, yeah i just am rambling now but
0: yeah well that's, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to any conversation that we have this is kind of what we do it's all good <laughs> um yeah i mean it, the reality is that you have parents who don't have a choice you know mm-hmm. they, they they either uh th- yeah they they don't have a choice i mean i i recently had a conversation uh, with someone who had said, "Hey, you know, I was talking to a coworker, and the coworker was like, Well, you know you work from home, so can't you just do that and the The parent was trying to explain to them that just because i 'm physically at home mm-hmm. doesn't mean that that's actually going to be helpful for my child yeah. because from some people 's perspective, they just look at it as like, well, as long as there's going to be an adult you know within fifty feet, yeah, then that child mm-hmm. can stay home." And I don't know if, I don't know if this is what you meant to say, but what I'm, what I'm kind of taking away from something that you just maybe suggested was, could it have been, could it have been a better option to, instead of have your, what I'll call core teachers focused on the in-person learning, could it be have the core teachers focused on the online learning to make that maybe even more Mm -hmm. of an attractive choice? I, I don't know if I worded that correct. Yeah.
2: Word,
0: but I kind of got the idea that you
1: yes, were really thinking I, I, you swap uh, resources. Yeah. So I, I personally think that I've heard some people come up with really creative um, ideas, but most of the people making the decision aren't asking teachers and they're the ones that are thinking about how this is all going to be implemented and coming up with ideas. So if 70% of our students can be at home, I have no idea what percentage it'll be. That was a random number. Right, okay. um, be at home. They have one or two parents that are going to be at home and in some way, either they're they're older and so they can independently be on a device or there's a system in place where parents feel like they can handle that. Um, no one's going to lose their job because their child's at home. They're not putting, you know, any of those things at risk for their family. Um then the majority of teachers should be making that successful and not outsourcing it to some scripted curriculum that's probably not going to... I haven't seen it. I don't know how engaging it is. I don't know what it looks like, but I I personally think that things that are scripted, unscripted, most of the time is going to get better engagement from kids. Um, And then have poll parents see how many are in a situation where it's just not feasible. You now have 22 buildings open. Can we spread them across all of those buildings? And the teachers comfortable being in person kind of work like it's a community center and help teach those kids in different buildings. I mean, that's one idea that I heard that a staff member shared at school board meeting. And I'm like, I didn't even think of that. Like, we're not using our resources and our minds to come up with different options because we're thinking we have to have a a plan that just applies to all because that's what we do. I mean, that's kind of how a school system works, is we come up with these rules or a plan, and it's what everyone gets. So we're also not thinking about some of our special ed population um, and how this is going to impact them, both if they're at home and they're at school. I mean, it's going to look a lot different for some of our kiddos. So how that looks is um, concerning for me, too.
0: Okay, so man you raise so many good points here uh okay so let me let me play a bit of devil's advocate uh um, mm-hmm. and i'm i'm coming at this more from the how you potentially handle like a a business decision or a business crisis or yeah. times of uncertainty so uh there are times where a business and i'm for anybody who's listening to this there you know i'm not here to get into the argument of an education is not a business or whatever so just Spare me that. I'm just throwing out (laughs) an analogy here. Um, But uh, you are facing a time of uncertainty. You're not 100% sure what the right way is to go, but you're going to start with something and you start with that thing and make that, make that thing very defined. So you have three different Mm -hmm. segments. So you've got, you know, K through what K through five, six through eight, and then nine through 12. Those Mm -hmm. are your three different segments. So we start with this and we we put out, this is our plan, knowing maybe on the DL Mm -hmm. that what we have to do is we have to come out with something that's very structured at first, understanding that there are unanswered questions, but we can't come out with a, hey, we're thinking of this and then maybe we'll do this. Somebody's got to take the bullet Mm -hmm. and say, this is our plan for segment one, segment two and segment three. You get ready to receive the blowback because it's coming no matter what.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: because you put There's out... There's no waiting. Yeah, well, because you put out a defined plan, you now mm-hmm. have more structured feedback. You know exactly what the issues are. Mm-hmm. You get more creative ideas because we can bounce ideas like for forever. Yeah. But you get more creative oh, yeah. ideas. And then potentially then you go back and revise said plan. I I'm just throwing out the I, I don't know who
1: Yeah, who I think that yeah. I mean I I, I am so hoping that happens. Um because I think they're being inundated with questions. I know I am being inundated with questions. So yeah I mean even from parents I'm like I don't have an answer. I, I don't know what that's gonna look like yet. Um So I I wish that educators and people in the building were more crucial in coming up with the plan. There wasn't collaboration there, at least here. I know that that's not true everywhere, um, but I I am seeing that as a trend that whether it's a superintendent or a school board, a group of admin, someone is making a decision and the teachers aren't always involved when it directly is going to impact their day. And sometimes, they have questions right away that you're like, Oh wait, now that plan doesn't work. So I think that there's this lack of communication there that may have adjusted things. And now it's like, we have weeks until school starts. Like, how do we make a new plan this fast?
0: Well, actually Um, I take back what I said. That does sound like a
1: business (laughs) then (laughs) because that's exactly
0: the same thing. Well, to your, so to your knowledge was, um, in most situations, is someone, say, like head of teachers union, that sort of thing mm-hmm. involved in these meetings? Because to me, that would be who speaks for the teachers.
1: It would be. Um, I know, I, I, and I don't know what every district is doing. I know we had a council that had a parent and a couple educators and our union president on it. Um, they met three times. The first time they gave them CDC guidelines, the last time they gave them the plan. So they had one day where they met for a couple hours and talked in small groups about concerns about both options, but they they weren't asked for ideas or given real collaboration into coming up with the plan. So they want to say that they had those people involved, but they did the bare minimum of involving them to say that. Okay. Um, so I think that's the that's where we're all very like eerie of this because we didn't agree to it. Um, we didn't help come up with it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That that goes back to like the the very like age old. Team building one hundred and one. Like your your people will be more apt to support a plan when they feel like they've their opinion yeah. was at least valued in making said plan.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, and we kind of got a a feedback that well, one person could have just made this plan, and we didn't actually have to have anyone's feedback, which is true. So yes, you did a little bit more <laughs> than that. Good job.
0: Okay, I don't have to. I don't have to guess nope. where you stand on this.
1: Uh. Yeah, but like, no, it. no matter what the decision is, the more people that you have involved in creating that plan, the more buy-in you all have and the greater number of ideas you will have to consider when, I mean, in this case, no one has ever dealt with this before. So it's really hard to know what to do. And I don't envy them having to make a plan because no one was going to be, I mean, there was no way everyone was going to be happy with it regardless of what it was.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I, um, yeah. Okay. So I, I know I asked you the question before, you know, what can parents do to support teachers? And I, I think that that that's a very tangible action step as far as if you anticipate that your child is going to be attending in person to start trying to, you know, mimic some of the things that they may experience. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it goes back to something that my dad has always tried to instill once I became a father of, you know, try and do what you can to let to put the teachers in a position to do their job, which is teach. So that just reminds me of that, that kind of mindset. So that definitely makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so along kind of that same, that same line, say you are, say you're, you're a parent of a child and you have no choice. You you have to send them back to in-person learning yeah. based on job scenario because uh, the reality is we know mm-hmm. that that 's going to be a pretty pretty decent amount of yeah
1: people. there will be a lot of people in that situation
0: yeah so um, how How can a parent best try to you know show empathy and and also at the end of the day you know that you still have to send your child to school.
2: Mm-hmm. How can
0: you best handle situations like that? uh, you've already got the first day of school jitters, the, I don't want to get on the school bus, or I don't want to leave your side, like that sort of thing. Cause who knows what school drop-off is going to look like? I don't even know. Um, but are there, Yeah. yeah, are there particular, I don't know, are there particular, um, words or, um, scenarios or i don't know you know i'm just kind of spitballing here like are there particular things mm-hmm. that you can try to do yeah to or statements that you can say to your kids to say like i hear you i feel you mm-hmm. and you still mm-hmm. know at the end of the day um on tuesday at 7:45, we're gonna have to hop in the car and go to school
1: so and that's something that i i like staff or student wise, there will be both sides an increased level of anxiety and um, worry and just fears from both sides being in the building because there will be people on both students and adults that don't really want to be there. Um, and we will have less resources to support all of those people in the ways that we're used to. Um, But I think that as a parent, whether it's this situation or honestly any situation when your child is anxious, you validate how they are feeling because their perception is as real to them as an actual experience. So you tell them, you hear them, you understand And then you try and focus on something positive or you model what you're doing when you're upset or when you're worried. Um, So if that's, you have a phrase that's positive self-talk for yourself and you share that with your child and you say, when I'm anxious, I say this to myself. I say, I just need to take a deep breath and then I can move forward. Or you, whatever strategies that you have learned, you're, You show them to your kid and you model them. So that way when they're walking in that door They have some strategies. I think that there will be a lot of staff that are I mean my focus is going to have to be More social emotional than anything else Um, Just because it's gonna be a completely different environment and just the environment looking different Is going to cause anxiety because it won't seem familiar to most kids, even if they weren't worried about being there in the first place.
2: Okay,
0: gotcha. So uh, I like the uh, I I had to jot that down myself because I like what you shared Mm -hmm. about you know validate how they're feeling versus Mm -hmm. and this actually goes back to episode one. So uh, validate how they're feeling versus telling them that they shouldn't feel that way
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's
0: that's certainly not going to help. So yeah. Phrases like, Hey, I hear you. I understand mm-hmm. you. Like I hear what you're saying. And then mm-hmm. some sort of positive self-talk or here's mm-hmm. what I do when I'm, when I'm scared or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Okay.
1: And even if it's like a, okay, let's make a plan. What's going to make you feel better? Um, I've talked to, and I don't know what schools and districts will allow yet, but I've been talking to some people. We're not going to be able to have shared fidgets or pillows or things that sometimes younger kids want to hold on to that make them feel better at school. So if your kid's like, well, it would help me if I had something to play with, get them a fidget. Or if they have a tiny stuffed animal that's like, you know, fits in their hand, something. If they have something that is comforting to them, consider if people, if districts are letting them bring things, I don't know what all the rules will be about bringing things from school and home back and forth. Um, That's what I would suggest too. So come up with a plan with your kids. If it's something they need to bring, something, a reminder of what they need to say to themselves or a reminder of a coping strategy that you write on a piece of paper and stick in their pocket or in their lunchbox, do something like that. Um, Because we're going to have to find different ways to comfort them from what we're used to. Um, I usually have in my office a rug with pillows on it and pillows that are like have that, uh, the sequiny things that you Uh can push back and forth and they change colors, things like that. Like 30 kids touch it in a day. I'm not going to be able to use those. Yeah. No go. So it's thinking about, okay, well what can you individually have as a student that would give you that same feel or comfort or sensation that makes you feel like you can calm yourself down. So, you know, your kids, if you know at home they have something that always makes them feel better or they do something that makes them feel better. Even if you just let their teacher know, hey, at home and he's upset, he gets really active and it helps if he can go do 10 jumping jacks in the hallway and then come back to class. Like things like that. Just think about different ways that your teacher can help them and let them know if you know something.
0: Okay. That's, uh, that's also good. I'm also taking personal note of all these things because <laughs> they're, they're helpful, you know, because these are uncharted waters for, for everybody uncharted waters. It just reminds me more and more though, that, uh, much of what we talked about the first time around just continues to ring true. And that's why I wanted to have that conversation. So yeah. long ago is how we, how we talk out loud uh, and how we give our opinions of things. It doesn't mean we can't be real, but there are certain things that we have to understand when it comes out of our mouth, it it's forming the the child's yeah. lens. Like it yes. it just is. So every time that we take a deep breath and get really pissy about putting on a mask, then how can Mm -hmm. we, you know, how can we expect our child to not complain when we have to do the same thing or we come home from work and we take our mask off and we're like, oh, that was awful. Then what, (laughs) what do we expect them to do? So this is going to be a lot of check yourself moments.
1: Yes. And there's a way to be like, oh, I wish I didn't have to wear this all day. Or like to express those things in ways that aren't like gonna discourage kids from doing them. Like I wish I didn't have to wear a mask. And I will a hundred percent tell kids that because I, I'll be like, I wish you could see my face smiling at you right now. But I think there's different ways than if you're complaining and you're like, I'm not gonna do this anymore, or really talking down or negatively about something kids internalize that and i think that educators are going to have to be aware of that too um if we're complaining about the setup of our room and we're complaining about the fact that my plan time is going to look a lot different because the kids aren't leaving my room anymore they're stuck in it all day yeah um the art teacher is going to come to my classroom and i'm going to sit in the back and plan at my desk while there's 30 kids and another teacher in my room that's a lot different than being able to, you know, do whatever you want during that time. I think that teachers are going to have to be as aware of that as parents are when they're at home.
0: Okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And what keeps popping into my mind is, is something that we talk about quite often in the health and fitness industry with just the reframe. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not necessarily like I, you know, we may disagree on this. I'm, I'm not a big, big proponent for, you have to find the positive in everything. I am a big proponent yeah. for there's a way to reframe something to mm. where it it the situation is what it is, and it's the neutral yeah. thinking with okay, the next thing is up to me so i'm even thinking of just uh, you know interacting with a child. I can spend a couple of minutes talking about how much it sucks that they have to wear a mask, or I can spend a couple of minutes telling them that they have pretty cool shoes and something like mm-hmm. something that's not mask related, yeah. you know, like other mm-hmm. things, yeah. other things about them um, that are, that are yeah. cool, like, Hey, cool haircut, whatever it might be. <laughs> I don't know. Just kind of, throwing ideas out there, but there's, I think there's definitely some things we can do.
1: Yeah. And I think people might disagree with this, but I think that there are certain situations where making someone find a positive in a situation that is like crushing to them, pushes them away. They're like, there is nothing positive. So it's almost more likely or more beneficial to have that neutral conversation to validate their feelings but then ask, well, what can I do to help make this better? Because if that's like you want to step outside for, for a minute and take your mask off, I'm I'm willing to go take a, a kid out so they can just get a breather for a second. Um, or, you know, if you're having a bad day or you're upset about not being able to play with your friends, I can't change that. I understand that that's just where we live right now, and that's how this is being handled. What can I do to make your day better? What would make you feel better right now? Would it be like taking a break? Would it be going for a walk? Do you need someone to breathe with you? Like, What do you need is a much more appropriate response than, let's find something positive about this. Because you could have a kid sit there and stare at you dead in the eyes for 10 minutes and be like, there's nothing positive about this. You don't understand that this is awful. So... I think that I, yeah, I agree that sometimes it's not necessarily the right. If you have a kid that's really positive and they can do that. Cool. But, uh, I think a lot of kids and a lot of adults don't have that mindset all the time. It's more of a, how do we move forward? How do we regulate ourselves and how do we make this situation as good as we can make it?
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'm going to I'm going to try and not keep you for forever and try to start closing this thing out <laughs> and I I really appreciate you taking the time because I know these are busy times for you uh right now just with this situation being ever evolving as we go through so um you know we've talked about some of the different options that we've got going on locally and then mm-hmm. really the biggest thing being getting some ideas around things that parents and those who have in influence and impact with children can do to try and really best assist not only the kids, but then the teachers. Because to me that really yeah. is the most important thing because we're, you know, if we're bringing our kids to school, we want to try and do what we can to not only support the kids, but then get an understanding from a, an educator perspective what are the things that those of us who are not working in the schools can do to help so Mm -hmm. i hear you saying you know try to not role play well yeah role play um some of the some of the scenarios validate the way that the kids are are feeling you know i think you're with me on the reframe piece but then also Mm -hmm. walking them through different things that we might be able to do Uh, in order to try and make the situation better, but acknowledging like, yeah, buddy, I get it. This is, it's tough. Um, What's something that I can do to make it a little bit better or whatever it may be? Because I I know, and even reading through some of the details, there's, there's potentially even an expectation that there may, there may still be another close down, even if you do pick the in-person. Yeah.
1: So I mean, it's, it's written in our plan that, that, very likely could happen and there's already rumors that it's going to get announced. I mean, but there's a rumor for that every week. So who knows? I, I um,
0: say there's a, there's literally a rumor for every always, possible scenario
1: Yeah, always. Yeah. So I think that for me, I, I worry about that drop of the hat decision and the parents that don't have somewhere for their kids to go that, that worries me. So I would encourage parents that are in that situation, act like that's going to happen and have a backup plan. If you don't have a backup plan, talk to your school, talk to, talk to someone that can help you come up with options. Um, I know that there were emergency daycares and things open last spring um, that we had kids go to because their parents were essential workers and they didn't have an option. Right. But I think starting to think about that now And if you know someone in that situation, starting to help them realize it, that very well could happen, or we could have enough teachers that are sick or can't come to work that that has to happen too. Um, So I think that having a backup plan, knowing what you're going to do in that situation, maybe it never happens, but it's better to have a plan than to go into it and have to leave your kids home because you don't have an option in the moment.
0: That's a, that's a great reminder. That just yeah. because this is the initial plan at the beginning of the school year doesn't mean that you shouldn't already have some sort of a, a backup in place. Uh, I know that's been a topic of conversation that I've had with some folks too around understanding if your your child may go to school with what they feel like is the common cold, but from what I understand, mm-hmm. they most likely are going to be sent home. So you you still yeah. have to have
1: have a plan for that.
0: Yeah, you still yeah. Gonna have to have have some sort of a plan for that. Okay, okay. Well, yep. um. Anything else that maybe I have not brought up, um, haven't asked you about, having really given you the opportunity to maybe share that you would like to make sure that not just parents, but just people in general um, are considering as uh, as educators, administrators, teachers, kind of navigate their way through this, these different options and situations and stuff. Anything I may have kind of left on the table here?
1: Really, I just, I think that it comes down to what's good for kids and what is good for them as individuals. And that's kind of where our our mindset needs to be. I think that there have been a lot of negative things about teachers complaining about having to go back to school. Uh, But I think that when your job is to make sure all the kids in your building are safe and cared for and learning and you know these best practices that you've been taught won't be implemented because we gotta keep everyone separate. It is really hard to see how that will happen. So I think teachers are, are trying to think of kids in this situation. And it's all about the lens that you have right now. So try and have empathy regardless of what decision your family makes, your friend's family makes, whether your child's teacher they were supposed to have ends up staying home or going to school. There's a lot of factors that we just don't know in situations that people are in that this is going to bring up. And I think that having empathy for everyone in this, because it's it's uncharted waters and we're going to have to adjust and we're going to have to change constantly. And I think some people send their kids to school and think that wasn't the right decision. Some people keep them home and then think it wasn't the right decision. So don't stress about it. I mean we, all we can do is make a decision and move forward and kind of have empathy for everyone that's involved.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to, to summarize things. And I'll say in closing it, it reminds me of something. I, I think it was Brene Brown. I'll try and try and say that it was her, uh, in a book that I just recently read, which I think that you had mentioned that you may have read in, uh, dare to mm-hmm. lead yeah. where, uh, try to operate from the assumption that people are just doing the best that they can
2: mm-hmm. and just
0: try to start with that, like try to start with that and you'll be amazed at what your interaction looks like. It doesn't mean that the person is yeah. doing, you know, doing exactly what you want them to, but if you can try as adults, if we can try to reframe that, you know what, this person, the decision that they made, they made that to the best of their knowledge or the best of their mm-hmm. ability. And whether it was, you think it was right or wrong, they felt like it was the, if you feel like it's the best decision they could have made based on what they yeah. had and then just try to, okay, we learned that maybe that didn't work. Let's try and figure out the next thing. And I think that would do us all mm-hmm. do us all well um, to just try and try I and do agree. that big time. Okay. okay.
2: All right. Well, good and-
0: yeah, for real. And then uh, yeah, it's, I mean, these are, we're going to continue to have just a decent amount of uncertainty, but we can either choose to, you know, add on top of the stress that we've already got, or just, like I said, just assume that people are trying to do the best they can with the information that they have and understand that information is going to change tomorrow. So (laughs) the decision may change.
2: Yeah,
0: for real. All right. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, chat. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you later.
2: Okay, of course. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
0: Hey folks, this is JK checking in with you again. First of all, if you've made it this far, I'm going to assume that you actually listened to all of today's episode, in which case I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to sit down and listen to the Help Me Understand podcast. If you feel like this episode was in any way, shape, or form impactful to you, I would really appreciate it if you took a moment to share it with someone else that you feel may also be interested in listening to the perspective that was shared on today's show. In addition, if you have access to the Apple podcast platform, I would really appreciate it if you took a moment just to hop on to the podcast page, leave a rating and review. Those are things that do help spread the word about the podcast. Again, thank you again for listening to today's episode.
2: Really appreciate it.